Well, welcome to Palestine Deep Dive. Welcome to all of you joining us from wherever you are across the world. Uh, this is the 51st show uh, of Palestine Deep Dive. We're delighted to have you, delighted to have our guest, uh, Aram Abu Salah. Uh, my name's Mark Seddon. I'm a former Al Jazeera correspondent. I used to work for the United Nations. Um, I've been a journalist all my life. But far more importantly for this evening, because we're going to be discussing um, what really should and possibly will be again a hot issue, which is the occupation of the Golan Heights, not only the occupation, but the annexation of the Golan Heights. Uh, and this is a time when the international community is um, quite rightly absolutely furious about the uh, invasion and part occupation uh, and annexation of Ukraine. That has been taking place over a period of time, but not nearly as long as Gaza. The Israelis have have, be, have, have occupied Gaza since the uh, Six-Day War in 1967. Joining us today, delighted to say, from Berlin, where she's finishing uh, her academic studies, uh, is Aram Abu Saleh. And Aram is a Syrian writer, activist, and graduate. And she's a student, and I hope I'm getting the pronunciation right, Aram, uh, from Majdal Shams, um, yes. from the occupied Golan Heights. Uh, currently, as I just mentioned, finishing your graduate studies in Berlin, um, in Germany, and you regularly write for various academic, journalistic, and literary uh, uh, publications, uh, including for the local Golan Jolani newspaper, is that correct? Um, as well as for other Syrian and Palestinian outlets. And Aram's been involved in the Syrian political movement in the occupied Golan since she was 13 years old, and is also a member of the Syrian Golan youth movement. So look, Aaron, this is, you know, we, as I was just mentioning, we've, this is our 51st show. From time to time, um, we mention the Golan, we talk about the Golan, but we haven't really had this focus. And we're absolutely delighted that you've joined us today. And, and hopefully um, we're going to hear some uh, questions being sent in from people. We're already getting uh, some uh, some messages. Uh, Tamamas uh, may possibly be related to you. They're sending you any <laughs> That's messages. my little brother. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, Green Pal says, uh, hello, good to be back. Uh, Dia Ali says, bravo, Aramu. Um, so there's obviously a lot of interest in this as a topic, and not really surprisingly, because we have touched on recently um, the continuing uh, occupation of Western Sahara for instance, since 1975 by Morocco in contravention of international law. Uh, we also talked about the Chagos Islands in the Indian Ocean, um, which the UN General Assembly has, has voted and instructed, and so have the international courts, Britain, to return to, um, to uh, Mauritius. Uh, and, of course, we have focused on the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, what it's meant for the UN Charter, uh, but also how it is that uh, you can call quite happily for sanctions uh, against Russia, uh, but in many Western countries, if you call for sanctions against Israel for illegally occupying Golan Heights, or indeed any of the other occupied Palestinian territories, you run into a storm of criticism. Anyway, look, we want to hear from you. Welcome back to Palestine Deep Dive, all of you that has joined us. But I really wanted to begin, if I may, Aram, uh, yes. tell us something a bit about yourself and your family and a little bit about the Golan Heights. I mean, 
I did. Not everybody will know a great deal about this uh, this area that has been under illegal occupation for over half a century. Yes. Um, thank you, Mark, for inviting me to speak today. Um, it's actually uh, a lot of people talk about Palestine, but uh, they forget that also or neglect that also Israel occupies a part of Syria. Uh, a large part of Syria, actually, which is the Golan, uh, and it's still under occupation. Um, what I want to say, I want to, I want to begin with something. Um, it is not only uh, the Golan is not only the Syrians who are currently still living uh, in the Golan, like myself and my family, um, but also the Syrians who were uh, expelled and ethnically cleansed from the Golan uh, in the occupation in 1967, uh, which are now uh, approximately half a million Syrians. Um, who, who You hear no one uh, talking about their right of return, uh, their destroyed uh, villages, or what happened uh, in 67 that Actually, the Golan, the Golan story is the story of the um, largest uh, ethnic cleansing that Israel did, even um, more than, uh, even bigger than the Nakba, the Palestinian Nakba, because um, if you uh, do the numbers, uh, it was um, one one hundred thirty thousand Syrians living in the Golan in uh, nineteen sixty seven. And after the occupation, 13,000 remained. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge percentage yeah. uh, of people who were forcibly expelled. Um, and we know this um, from our grandmother and grandparents' story and also from uh, Syrians who wrote about it. But Israel, until this day, um, keeps secret you know, the, the documents of what happened uh, really in the Golan, uh, in the military sense of expelling these people. Aram, I, I went um, from uh, Damascus some years back as an Al Jazeera reporter to um, the town of Kenetra, uh, yes. uh, which you, of course, will know all about, but some people out there who are watching may not. But this is a is a Syrian town that was destroyed uh, in fighting by the Israelis in 1967 and is still completely in ruins. And uh, following from our visit there, we went to um, this kind of demarcation line between the the bulk of the Golan Heights, which is occupied by Israel, and I think it's the Eastern Golan, which is still in um, Syrian hands. But can you tell us something about this uh, this line of demarcation, which I think is well, I know because I was there is is, is policed by the United Nations. Um, to tell us something about what, how it is for people to live on either side of this demarcation line. Well, uh, the most um, vivid picture when you mention this uh, border is the is actually how we used and still communicate with our families uh, since the occupation, because um, when Israel occupied uh, the Golan. Um, it, it, they expelled a lot of Syrians, but also our remaining villages. Um, some some of the families, they were uh, living uh, in Damascus, working or somewhere else in Syria, and then suddenly they had this 
border or also they uh, escaped uh, the war. And then um, we have this situation going on since 67 that half of our family is in Syria and we uh, live on the other side. And for a long, long time, uh, we communicated in that area you visited. Uh, we have a place called uh, the Hill of the Shouts, um, which is basically a hill, which is basically two hills, uh, one on the Syrian side and one on our side. And our uh, families would come um, in important ceremonies in the year, in Mother's Day, in Day of uh, Syrian Independence, uh, in uh, Eid, in holidays, they would come uh, to the hill and we would also come and we would just use shouting as a communication um, and it went on a lot uh, for for uh, long years until you know phones were available and then uh, we started using this and also now video calls and all this stuff um, but that's when you ask about this line that's the most uh, vivid picture or memory. Yes, I mean, I, I saw I saw people on both sides of this demarcation shouting, as you were saying, waving uh, Palestinian flags, waving other flags to the Syrian flag, um, and, and but a huge divide. I mean, this wasn't, if pe people watching this, it's not just a question of, you know, shouting over a large fence. I mean, there's there's quite, there's quite a distance, isn't there, between these two, these two, this kind of peace, peace zone where the UN has to, to, to try and, and police things there. But I mean, I mean, tell us something about the successive United Nations. I mean, there's been, there's been resolution after resolution following the occupation, um, but all have been ignored by Israel. I mean, what do people? Do people have kind of given up on on Israel ever returning the Golan Heights to Syria? Would you say? Yeah. Well, for us, it's uh, not uh, <laughs> it's not their choice to make. Mm. Um, and we 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 hope for uh, of course we always hoped and still hope for liberation but you know after the war in Syria in the recent years it has been a lot harder uh, mm. to hold on uh, to this hope um, but um, but I guess the people are they don't have hope in the you know, international community uh, mm. work, let's say, or steps, uh, because it's really just talk for us. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry to hear that, uh, Aaron. But look, we've got a question. This is from Sarah in Manchester. Um, she says, uh, how much contact do Syrians under occupation in Golan have with Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza? And do activists across the territories coordinate with each other as well? Um, that's a great question. Um, actually, since the annexation of the Golan, uh, we've been living since '82. We have been living geographically as Palestinians uh, because this is the only geography we're allowed to uh, move in. Um, you know, to go to Palestine, um, to the West Bank, or to Palestine. Um, 40, uh, 48. So you, sorry, you, you as a from from yeah. Golan as a, you can actually travel to the, to the West Bank, can you? Yes. And, yes but how would you do that? Would you be you because you can't you can't travel through Israel? Do you have to? Would you have to fly? I mean, how would you get or go through Jordan? I suppose. No. Yes, we can. 
we can move in Israel um, to the West Bank you would have to go to the checkpoints like any Palestinian living in Israel um, yeah but it, since the annexation before that it was basically military control over the five rema- remaining villages in the Golan and uh, the movement was super restricted you couldn't even move between the villages without um, the, the military uh, without their agreement so Aaron, can I tell you something about your your family because d- did your family stay in the in the occupied Golan Heights or or, or or was your family pushed out as well or expelled I mean what's what's the, what's your family's your own family situation uh, well my family situation is also half half like uh, most of the families I actually met uh, my uncle for the first time here oh, wow. in Berlin yeah wow. because he was displaced from Syria and he is a refugee here uh, and he was displaced from the Golan in 67 and then I didn't see, I never saw him until uh, we met here yeah mm-hmm. he and my cousins uh, so um, so yeah half of the family is uh, in the Golan and the other half is uh, in Syria and now some of them are still there and some of them are doing their second displacement journey now. I mean, we, we mentioned 1967 uh, and the occupation, the, 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 the war, the occupation. Um, but since then, um, in 1981, uh, Israel passed legislation to annex the Golan Heights to take this territory that was belonging to Syria and to make it part of Israel. Um, you could very possibly draw a direct uh, parallel between Russia's invasion of Crimea, um, although I am not altogether sure whether there was a, uh, a push to drive people out of, Korea once, out, out of Crimea once it had been um, occupied and annexed. So there is that direct comparison there. And I wonder really what... I mean, this is, gets to the heart of it, uh, Aaron, because, uh, and, we, and we, we've got a couple of clips which we'll share in a minute, but, you know, for, for many people in the Golan who can see what is happening right now in Ukraine and can see the outrage in the international community and at the United Nations and the, the dire threats, the sanctions, the response that's come, and yet when it comes to the Golan Heights, it, it doesn't exist as an issue at all. What do people think about that? Yes, um, they actually have uh, sanctions on uh, Syria, which is uh, starving the Syrian people. They, the, the Western sanctions are <laughs> are uh, meant to, uh, you know, to um, to sanction Assad's regime. But what it's really doing is just uh, sanctioning the people of Syria and making them more poor and uh, more starving, um, while you know, like our country is being sanctioned, why the country occupying us is just freely doing whatever it wants. Um, that's all I can say. I wonder if we could have a look at a clip. I mean, what has also happened, as you, as you know, Aram, is that, you know, whilst the international community officially says they do not accept the annexation of Golan, nor indeed the occupation, um, in reality, what we've seen is some quite unilateral moves, especially when President Trump was in the White House. Um, and I wondered if we might 
have a clip of Secretary of State Pompeo, former ex-Secretary of State Pompeo, when he went to the Golan Heights as part of the Trump administration and what he had to say. You, you can't stand here and stare out at what's across the border and deny the central thing that President Trump recognized that previous presidents had refused to do, that this is a part of Israel, a central part of Israel. I remember, too, not long after I was a cadet, I was an officer in the United States Army, and I remember the international pressure to return this very place to Syria. It was all the rage in the salons in Europe and in the elite institutions in America to say that this should be returned to Syria. Imagine, imagine with Assad in control of this place, the risk, the harm to the West and to Israel and to the people of Israel. Uh, President Trump just recognized the basic fact that this indeed is part of Israel. So there we have um, President Trump and Senate Secretary of State Pompeo who are above international law and the United Nations. And I'm sure that um, if Mexico was to invade and annex Florida, um, <laughs> he, he might be a little upset by that. Yeah, but maybe. really, this is the, 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 the hypocrisy. I was just seeing that for the first time. Aram, it's yeah. just staggering, isn't it? They also, you know, uh, they did a settlement uh, the Israelis established a new settlement on the ruins of a Syrian village in the Golan uh, to honor Trump. It's called the Trump Heights. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's not funny. I mean, it's I shouldn't be laughing. Um, I mean, it's just so staggeringly awful. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining perhaps they're going to offer a golf course as well and call it, you know, <laughs> Trump Bunker or something. But... I mean, it's just, uh, but of course, you know, there was there was considerable. Well, there wasn't a great deal of hope, but there was a little bit of hope that uh, when um, it was it was thought that a degree of sanity may return to American foreign policy under the under the after the election of President Biden, um, policy might uh, revert back to sort of a basic acknowledgement of international law. But we've been disappointed by that, and I think we've got another clip which we can share. If, uh, Secretary of State this administration, as you know, also recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which Israel captured from mm -hmm. Syria back in 1967. Uh, will your administration, the Biden administration, continue to see the Golan Heights as part of Israel? Look, leaving aside the legalities uh, of, that, uh, of, of that question, mm -hmm. as a practical matter, uh, the, uh, the Golan is very important to uh, Israel's uh, security. As long as Assad is in power in Syria, as long as uh, Iran is present uh, in Syria, uh, militia groups uh, backed by Iran, uh, the, uh, the Assad regime itself. All of these pose a significant security threat uh, to Israel. Uh, and as a practical matter, uh, it, the control of the, uh, of the Golan in that uh, situation, I think, remains uh, of real importance to Israel's security. Uh, legal questions are something else. And over time, if the situation were to change in Syria, uh, that's something we look at. But uh, we are uh, nowhere near as that. So there we have it. Legal questions aside, legal questions can be addressed when it suits us, and when we've got um, a, a, a regime in Syria that's rather more acceptable to us. This is absolutely irrelevant as far as the international uh, justice system goes. Um, 
But we're in a situation now, Aram, whereby all sorts of Secretary of State Blinken, President Biden, Prime Minister Johnson, Chancellor, the Chancellor of Germany, whose name I keep on forgetting because his, Schultz. his, his role, Elbegger Schultz, his role has been so rather feeble um, <laughs> over just about everything. All, all of them uh, quite rightly condemn the annexation of Crimea and of the recognition by Russia of breakaway states, uh, separatist states in the Donbass, but they can leave legality aside when it comes to the Golan Heights. What do people think about that? Um. Well, look, I'll tell you, whilst we think about that, there's another question. Um, this is to you, Aram. Have you lost faith in international law? And do you have any faith... Uh, in institutions like the United Nations and the International Criminal Court, uh, International Criminal Court, after years of neglect, and what is well, the attitude of uh, of others around? Well, it's I'm not going to speak only as a Syrian from the Golan. I'm going to speak as Syrian in general, <laughs> mm. like uh, the very not shy answer would be yes, because like look. Uh, like our country is the saddest tragedy of the of the century and and um with all the situation now in ukraine um not only that that uh, no one was held account accountable in syria uh, also um being here in europe and seeing the the different treatment uh, the extremely different treatment of uh, the Ukrainians and the Syrians, you just can't like still have faith in these institutions and not um, think twice uh, before considering them all also working for you as a as someone from the global south, you know. Uh, so not only as, a, as someone from the Golan, it's someone yes. from Syria in general. I mean, it's it's interesting you mentioned the global south because, of course, in the, the Western media, which has been very, very strong in its condemnation over Russia. Um, it's obviously played a double game when it's come to the occupation of Palestine and uh, the Golan Heights. Um, but it's interesting that the attitudes also towards refugees that that, that that you were just talking about, so very different because, you know, you will have seen just a, a month or so ago people trying to cross the border from Belarus and Poland and being pushed back um, and with you know being confronted by soldiers. Um, and the situation has completely changed now with uh, Ukrainians. So there, there's, again, uh, absolute um, absolute double standards. But do you think this could partially explain why in the Global South there are a number of countries that um, have abstained um, in those General Assembly votes condemning Russia? Uh, or, or, or are they just being cowardly or do they just have no regard for human rights? I mean, why, why, do, you, do, do, why do you think... You know, member states in the global south are not all necessarily lining up to condemn Russia. Um, I guess it's uh, like, of course, Syria's uh, stance is like uh, more extreme than not just condemning. They are actually, the regime is actually uh, pro Russian and uh, they have their reasons. Mm. Um, because the, they basically help them stay in power, um, despite what the Syrian people want. But um, it's just, um, it's very uh, 
convincing, I guess, for regimes to take this stand uh, in the global south because a lot of people are are um, super angry <laughs> at the West. Mm -hmm. I mean, people I know who actually even like work in uh, in Western NGOs in the Middle East or or uh, or even work in the United Nations, like the people you would thought who are like the most, you know, uh, have the most faith in this system and the, um, are very well integrated into into it, uh, are also furious. So mm. I guess... But do you know, I mean, maybe it's not so much the system, because if everybody observed the system, then it, it could very possibly work. And I'm thinking in particular about the uh, International Criminal Court, uh, because we have, we know that United States, for instance, hasn't signed up for it. Um, and yet it's calling for a special tribunal to put Putin on trial. Um, you know, if you're going to put Putin on trial for an in, in a special uh, tribunal, and there's a very strong argument for, for that that goes back to the Nuremberg trials, well, surely people would argue um, you must do the same for others. And that might include former Prime Minister Blair, former President Bush, Prime Minister Netanyahu. So do you think that people, if people could see a greater degree of consistency, they wouldn't necessarily blame the UN or the International Criminal Court. They would say, well, it's these member states who pick things up as they want to, when it suits them. Yes, well, they, they have the power in, this, um, in these organizations. That's why um, I don't see any future where these organizations are... Um, led by any other powers hmm. they that's why uh, that's why i'm saying what i'm saying yeah we have a this is uh, graham in uh, stockport in the north of england he uh, emails in what would you like to see happen going forward um what would be the perfect situation sanctions against israel a new peace deal um please aram can you give us your theory for change um well for the golan the golan is uh, connected also to uh, the liberation of palestine and also uh, to the situation in syria and um <laughs> that's why it's extremely uh, it's more it's more complicated than than other places but yes sanctions against Israel, of course, uh, but also removing the sanctions on Syria would be a step towards, also towards the, um, the, 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 the hope for the Golan to get back to its uh, original country um, and for its people to come back to their villages. So... Yes, because you, you mentioned at the beginning the, the expulsion um the expulsions from the Golan Heights. Uh, yes. I mean, I've read it's between eighty to one hundred and twenty thousand people. I mean, your your figure was was considerably higher than that. Um, so, tell us, you know, how how many people are left in occupied Golan? And also, if you can, because we understand that Israel has been building these settlements, not just Trump Heights, but a whole load of them for yes. a long period of time. Can you give us some idea of the sort of demographic breakdown in, in Golan now? 
Yes, well, today uh, the number of remaining Syrians, Syrians are uh, 25,000 and the number of uh, Israeli settler, settlers are uh, 25,000. <laughs> right. So we are uh, equal, <clears throat> equal number, yes. Um, and now they are trying to uh, bring, because they've been having uh, a hard time actually uh, in... in um, um, in making the settlements in the Golan bigger uh, because in increasing the number of settlers because it's a very far place from the center and it's like countryside and the uh, settlers don't want to uh, live somewhere where there's uh, not a lot of work. Um, so what they are doing is that they are, they, they are now going to bring um, people from Ukraine the Jews who are coming from Ukraine um, to settle in these uh, countryside places uh, in Palestine and uh, in the Golan. Um, yeah, so this is actually the question that Jamal was going to ask. I mean, how does it feel now to know that Israel is potentially allowing Ukrainian refugees to settle in, in, in the Golan? I mean, I wonder if you, the, these Ukrainian refugees have any idea that they're being sent to a, to a place that uh, could be very hostile. Uh, for them, they they could be leaving one hostile territory to go to another. Well, when you become a settler, <laughs> mm. you and you take the settler state's uh, citizenship, you automatically become hostile. So, mm. yes, that's my opinion. Um, but it is very sad to to see how victims become. Um, oppressors you know um, and and it's also very sad to see how uh, things uh, burn in europe and then in the far in the middle east you have all the uh, you know the middle east gets punished for it yes i mean i wonder also how you must feel when you see uh, natalie bennett the israeli prime minister um acting as um peacemaker talking about the need for Russian Russian occupiers to leave <laughs> with a straight face. I mean, it must be quite extraordinary. But I, I watch the Western media and I see, well, is anybody actually going to mention uh, the situation where he's from? And he is, he is very proud of his participation. Like, he specifically is very proud of his participation in the occupation of uh, South Lebanon and in mm -hmm. fighting uh, there. Yes, it's... Uh... Well, look, we have this is another. This is a question from uh, Sally, um, and Sally asks, "What does resistance look like on the ground in the Golan to Israeli annexation and colonization? Is there a growing movement, or is morale low?" Uh, well, morale is low since the atrocities in our country in Syria, uh, but it's uh, it's still going on, of course. Actually, now. We are battling this um, um, this new um, occupation plan to actually use uh, Israel is planning to use um, green uh, green energy uh, uh, means in order to uh, take more lands. Like they already have ninety five percent of the land in the Golan, and we the remaining Syrians have like five five percent. So they also want to take from the five percent now by building uh, wind turbines mm -hmm. huge wind turbines in like all the 
uh, space they have in the Golan they chose like in uh, the, the, between the roads between our villages which will cut the roads also we rely heavily all our, of our lives uh, rely on farming and uh, we can't live without uh, our fields and these turbines would just um, would ruin um, this is something that's similar is happening in the in the in the Negev, isn't it? With the Bedouin, yes, yes, it's very similar. They use they use the green uh, energy uh, projects in order to also take more land and control uh, more land. And also, they they write about it as the turbines in the Golan. They write about it as that it can also be used militarily because it's a huge, huge um, buildings and would like keep the Syrian army you know uh, behind um yes and they will they will be taking um a lot of land for this project like forestly taking and this is uh, the the main cause uh, the golan people are now working against and there have been a lot of confrontations with the army and they are still i think uh, afraid to come and uh, take the land so now it's um we will see what happens. Mm. I mean, the, the situation you're describing is also uh, in terms of uh, the way that land has been taken and, and how um, the former owners of that land have been forced into the peripheral parts of the territory. It's very reminiscent, it seems um, to me, to what happened in the West Bank and, and East Jerusalem. It's continuing to happen, and which is, of course, as you know, led to this report by Amnesty International accusing Israel of following policies of apartheid. And also the Harvard uh, School of Law has supported this. Um, it's, this won't come as uh, any great surprise to you because you live it. But would you also say that, there's, that Israel is practicing a kind of apartheid in occupied annexed Golan? Of course. Yes, I would say that it's obvious in so many uh, aspects and details of life, uh, in 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 access to really basic things like electricity and uh, and water. Uh, we even like <laughs> we even pay. Uh, it's our own water, and also this is the reason that Israel wants to keep the Golan, not only because of its strategic place, because it's a. Mm. It's their basically their whole supply of water, their biggest supply of water, um, and they 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 took our water, and they uh, sell it to us four times um, more. Um, yes, the the settler buys it uh, four times cheaper than what we buy it. So if that's not apartheid, I don't know what is. <laughs> it's 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 difficult to imagine, you know, a more unfair situation being deliberately engineered to humiliate a people and to drive those remaining people out of the Golan Heights. But one question I had, and then we've got a few more coming in here, and we've got yes. a little bit more time. If that's all right with you, Anne. But what I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, when I was growing up, there was a very famous man who was often on the television called Mr. Walid Jumblat of the Druze. And he yes. was, his party was in the Socialist International, what have you. Can you tell us something about the um, the Druze uh, people? Because I think that they, are they, are they, would they be Syrian citizens or some of them are Israeli citizens, but they're 
But who are the Druze? Can you let us know a bit more about them? Uh, well, it's a, it's a basically a Muslim sect, um, a very uh, little Muslim sect. It's two million people, and they are in Syria, Jordan, Palestine, and Lebanon. Uh, and uh, most of the remaining um, uh, Syrians in uh, in the Golan are uh, are from this sect. Uh, we also have uh, Alawi uh, pe- people mm-hmm. in the Golan. We have one village, and we have four villages of uh, Druze and uh, some remaining Christian families, Christian or Orthodox families also. Um, yes. Well, on, on that on that matter, actually, t- Tom has got a couple of questions. But one is, um, so where are the Golan diaspora mainly living? And uh, people who have been forced out. I'm I'm assuming it's Syria. Um, but he says, are there strong um, communities around the world, or are there many living in Palestine? And he also says, is it true that there are landmines littered all across the Golan? Yes, it's true, and uh, that has been one of the. <laughs> Also, um, human rights uh, violations that's been going on. We have a lot of people losing um, their hands or their uh, legs uh, due to accidents with this, uh, these mines that Israel still refuses to um, uh, to disarm or remove. Yeah. To remove, yes, mm, mm. they still refuse to remove them, and they they are in very uh, like unplanned places. And uh, also, we have a lot. We live. My village is on the mountain, and there's a lot of rain, and then the mines would like move, and mm. become very close to the houses, and that's how these accidents happen. Uh, yeah, and the f- the first question I forgot the first question. The so. first question is wh- where do most of the Golan diaspora live now? Yes, so uh, in sixty seven, when um, in the displacement, uh, a lot of them moved to uh, the countryside of Damascus, um, also to places where um, where Palestinian refugees has been living in Syria. So the Golani and the and the Palestinian communities in in Syria are um, uh, live a lot of them live in the same uh, places, uh, refugee camps uh, or just the very uh, poor suburbs of uh, cities, uh, and also in Qunaitara governorate in general, um, and after after the the war in recent years. Uh, a lot of them uh, went on a second journey of refuge to uh, to everywhere, basically. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's half a million people. It's a, a lot, lot of, of people. people. A lot of people, yes. and, a, for, and seemingly forgotten by the international community, and possibly too because of the Syrian civil war. Uh, yes, even more so. Would you Would you agree? Also, because of the, I think the Syrian state has uh, did not do enough uh, for the um, for the people displaced from the Golan uh, even before the war. Uh, they were they are, I think, the lowest uh, class in Syria uh, are these mm-hmm. people, 
they and were some, some of them are Alawite, you know, Alawi. You said that some of them are Alawi. Yes, but the majority are mm -hmm. Sunni. I uh, see. Right. Yes. So well, there's a question. This is from Amira in Leicester. Uh, and Amira says, How much support do Syrians in the Golan have on Arab Street among everyday Arab people? as opposed to those Arab regimes who are now rushing to normalize relations with Israel? Um, I'm not sure, but uh, because we are really like isolated <laughs> from uh, all the Arab world, we don't have freedom of movement uh, in the Arab world. I mean, I can come to Germany, but I can't go to Lebanon or Syria or um, other places I would like to go to. Um, well, yes, including Britain. I think you've got it's more <laughs> difficult for you to come to Britain than anywhere else. Yes. Also, after Brexit, uh, I don't know why. What's the connection? But well, after it's, Brexit, it's clear, it's well, perhaps, perhaps the Syrians in Golan are being blamed for the um, for the Brexit referendum result. You never know. <laughs> for a long for a long time, it was all being blamed on um, on the Russians. Yeah, as now was it's the election of President Trump. So that we live in a strange, strange world. But in, in all seriousness, quite how visa restrictions have been ramped up if you're coming from Golan after Brexit, I simply don't know. And we will have to see if we can try and find a friendly member of parliament to ask these questions in parliament. Also, I hear uh, Palestinian friends are also facing the same problem. Really? So maybe yeah. it's just travel documents are being refused. or yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, look, we have another question. A couple more, if we can hold on to you a little longer. Aaron. This is Dan. And Dan in London asks, um, what impact do you think the so-called peace process in the 1990s had on the issue of the Golan Heights? Um, was this behind Syria and Israel not being able to reach a peace deal similar to, to that of Jordan and Egypt, which did with Israel, of course? Um, I have no enough information. I'm yeah, I mean, it does. It does seem just from from where we're sitting that you know, um, for a variety of reasons, not least the the civil war that's raged through Syria, the terrible things that have happened in Syria, um, but before that as well, which you were mentioning that the Syrian claim on Golan has obviously been pushed uh, through the United Nations, but it's they seem to have rather given up on it. The Syrian government seems to have rather given up on taking back what is actually under international law um, territory that yes. belongs to it. Why do you think that is? Well, I guess the regime is uh, busy with uh, yes. with suppressing freedoms in yes. Syria rather than uh, freeing its own territories. Sadly, okay. really. But I do think that um, actually uh, this past year, uh, Israel assassin, uh, as member of the Syrian parliament who was from my village and he was representing the Golan uh, in the in the Syrian government. And he has uh, this home. Um, his name is Midhat Saleh. Uh, he has this home um, just on the on the hill I told you mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. And he was in, in his home and they sniped him. They shot him with a sniper. Um, and I think, like there is, there are parts of the uh, Syrian regime or government that want, still uh, want to care for the Golan, uh, but are all being um, 
assassinated or uh, silenced by Israel or by the regime. Mm. Yes. Now, given that Israel has uh, occupied and annexed the Golan Heights, does that now mean that as far as the Israelis are concerned, people who live in the Golan Heights can actually vote to send members of parliament to the Israeli Knesset? No. Um, when Israel annexed the Golan, uh, it tried to also force Israeli citizenship on the uh, Syrians remaining there. And there was a huge strike, uh, uh, which went on for six months uh, in our communities. And uh, the Israeli army actually sieged uh, these five villages for six months uh, and blocked uh, food and milk for the children. Um, and at the end, they, they gave up and um, and we, we still refused to, to take the, the Israeli citizenship. So we are not. Uh, we have no right of uh, voting or of participating in, you know, as a as. A, so as I mean, a, I suppose you're you're not you can't be stateless because the international community does still, despite whatever Trump may think, does not recognize the Israeli rule in Golan. Um, so you don't take Israeli citizenship. So you still must be Syrian citizens in occupied annexed Golan. Is that what you would be? Um, on, on paper, we are yeah, on paper. Uh, defined as stateless. Stateless? Yes, because by Israeli law, also they forbid us to uh, take uh, or be active Syrian citizens. Uh, so, so, you example, have, so if you're stateless, then you can't have any travel documentation then? Yeah, we have travel uh, docu a travel document issued by Israel, just like the uh, East Jerusalem, Jerusalem people. Oh, I see. Yes. I mean, this is, this is fascinating because I think this will be revela revelatory for a lot of people watching. And we want to try and spread the word after this show. Um, so we're very grateful for, the, for this, Aram. It's a, it's, a, it's a real education. Look, I think we've probably got time for maybe just one or two more questions. Um, Jake. Um, now, Jake asks, what could Golan independence or liberation look like? A fully autonomous area. Um, if you were to have a dream, Aram, about the future of Golan, what would what would it be? What would what would it look like? Um, a dream. My first image is all the Syrians coming back to their villages, and the Golan being full of people again, just like it was, because it's a highly um, it's very. It has a lot of community. It had a lot of communities. We had um, Bedouins. We had Sunni, Shia. All basically, all of the Syrian music was was in the Golan. So, my dream is for it to be alive again, like that, and not empty and full of settlements. Um, yeah, that's what it would look like. Well, I mean, I think a more powerful voice for um, the Golan essentially that is a, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, but independent and free part of Syria again, um, is a very, very strong dream to have. And it's also, I think it really should remind us uh, that uh, this is an issue that won't go away um, and that the odd Secretary of State from the United States, followed by another one, making decisions on the hoof 
uh, as to what should be international law and what shouldn't be really doesn't count for anything at all. Um, and that the struggle really for Golan, uh, Golan freedom continues. And in the same way as it does in Western Sahara, as it does also with Crimea and, um, and those in Ukraine who are resisting oppression, uh, occupation and proposed annexation. Um, very, very briefly, finally, Green Pal. Green Pal asks, are there Syrian groups in the Golan with a Facebook presence we could follow? Uh, that's a good uh, question because I guess we have nothing in English, only in Arabic. <laughs> so Maybe we should do that. <laughs> I think that might be a good idea. I think yeah. you'll find there's a lot of support out there for you. Yeah. yeah I really do. I well, look, that. Yeah. <laughs> we're very, very grateful to Aaron today for joining us from Berlin in Germany. Um, uh, we've disrupted her studies for long enough. Um, we wish you all the very best, uh, Aaron, for the future. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, thank you also for yeah, all that you have told us about uh, the situation with Golan. I think um, we go away better informed and more determined to do whatever we can to, to aid you in your struggle. So with best wishes from us at Palestine Deep Dive. Thank you, thank Aaron. You. Thank you very much. Thank you much. very much. And until next time, uh, join yeah. us at Palestine Deep Dive. Take care.